Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Dana Shopto, C70 at the bat at C70. On Twitter, Alan is still doing the baseball thing um, and again, trying to hopefully get him back here, although it may be June or so. Um, but filling in for him tonight is our old friend, uh, well, our good friend. Maybe I shouldn't say our old friend because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though that's our brand, it's Dang Alex Christopher. <laughs> Uh, oh, hang on. I'm sorry. I think I see some people out on my lawn. I have to yell out first. Um, Alex Christopher from uh, Birds on the Black and Chirps. Um, not been able to do a lot of podcasting as Tara's kind of been out of, out of pocket, but it was good to have Alex here. And Alex, let's, let's start on brand. Cardinals are playing on Apple TV tonight. And that's a little bit this new, new uh, frontier, I guess for major league baseball. Yeah. So every Friday night in my house, we do movie night. So I have not been watching the game. And then after the movie ended, I jumped on here with you, but it's my understanding. And I didn't realize this until this evening when I scanned Twitter for a little bit, but it's my understanding that you don't necessarily have to have an Apple TV sub to watch these games. Is that correct? Yes, somehow. Now, I, I I logged into Apple TV on my browser, and it gave you the option to watch baseball for free. I did have to log in with my um, Apple ID. I don't know if everybody, if anybody that didn't have an Apple ID would have to create one. I don't know. When I set it mm. up on my Roku, though, it was going to like, you had to start your free trial or something of that nature. And I was like, well, I don't want to start a free trial because the Cardinals <laughs> yeah, are going to be on for like, you know, they're on like three times through June and that free trial will run out. So, so I don't, so yes, tentatively. <laughs> so I know I'm supposed to hate this, especially because you brought me on here for a reason to, to hate <laughs> things like this, but I have to be honest in that what there are the Cardinals, I think have a, a couple games in this format. I looked at mm -hmm. all the other teams. I don't think I saw a single team with more than three games. Maybe there was one. I don't know. But point being, it's not a whole lot of games in the grand scheme. And so it, it doesn't necessarily bother me in a vacuum that Major League Baseball is doing this. Now, it might bother me. And I think this might be where other people are kind of concerned in that it might signify where the whole thing could be heading, which is having, you know, we've had games on Facebook, we've had games on YouTube, and now this, if people, Peacock TV, I think, has something, right? Like, if you feel like you right. keep having to reach into these different streaming services or social media outlets to watch a game, 
rather than just say, hey, no, I have the MLB app. I have. Why can't I just watch the games where I paid to watch all the games? Um, but be that as it may, yeah, I can't get too upset about uh, about three games out of 162 being in a hard-to-reach place. Yeah, and now to be fair, as far as I know, and I haven't looked into this, um, but the Apple TV schedule is only released for like the first half, and so the Cardinals may have more games after the All-Star break. That hasn't been announced yet, but it's still going to be, you know, probably at the most like six. Um, I, I don't have as much of a problem with Apple TV in general because, like you said, you could watch it free. It does sound like the Peacock ones is going to be on like their paid version of the app, which I'm not 100% sure about. And the other problem with the Peacock ones is they're going to start at like 1030 or 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, um, which is you know, one insane and two for some people, uh, you know, kind of doing something else on Sunday morning. Um, see, I, D- Daniel, I live in Washington, DC. Um, and <laughs> w- one thing my wife and I have noticed about living in Washington, DC, because, you know, I, I grew up in a, uh, well, somewhat of a small town in the middle of mm-hmm. Illinois. And, and I think what you're just alluding to there you could not schedule things on like 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning right, and right. expect to have full attendance. That's not how it works in, um, you know, the Sodom and Gomorrah, I guess I live in here in Washington, <laughs> D.C. You would be shocked how many things. And and, and let me be clear, I, I'm not a churchgoer myself, so it doesn't affect really my schedule. But one time, I, I forget what it was that something one of our kids had. And, and yeah, scheduled at like on a Sunday at 11 a.m. or whatever. And we both kind of remarked like, wow, this would not fly or just would not work where mm-hmm. where we are from. Uh, now, she's from Chicago, so a little little different from where I'm from. But yeah, yeah so, yeah. Yeah. so it, it, I have to be reminded every so often that 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning is not the same as 11 a.m. on a Saturday morning because they're treated the exact same way here almost. Yeah, and I mean, here, I don't think it's, it's definitely, obviously, I hadn't gotten to that. I mean, here, we're still, you still avoid Wednesday nights a lot of times when you're scheduled. I mean, something's scheduled on a Wednesday night, you kind of look like, wow, that's weird. Um, so Sunday morning is, is still kind of a little bit a taboo, but um yeah, I just, I, I think also though, I mean, it's just, you know, like I said, it's early. It's, it, there is something maybe, I know what, what did Boston has that, what, 11 o'clock game or 1030 game on Patriots Day, right? Did the Boston Marathon and stuff. I mean, it's kind of interesting to have a game every once in a while at, you know, you know, before, you know, it gets done with before lunch or something like that, but it's still just not what we're used to with baseball, right? I mean, Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon, but usually an evening thing to be done with your day. I mean, I guess that's what people in Hawaii have to deal with. I mean, like they go watch a game and then they have the rest of the day to get along with stuff. It seems weird. Yeah. I lived in San Diego for, for a little bit and Mm -hmm. it it is, it is kind of weird. It's nice in one way in that sort of what you just said. And I, I mostly think about football when it comes to this, but, uh, I know your feelings on football, so I'll, I'll try to keep it to baseball. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, like you're used to uh, these sports bleeding into your bedtime. And there the games end and you're like, oh, I still have like 
technically a couple of hours in my day left. What am I supposed to do now? You know, like the Super Bowl ends at nine or, or uh, gosh, before that, eight, you know, eight o'clock. Yeah, that is right. I guess the only other thing that I is a little bit, I don't want to say disconcerting. It's obviously not a big deal, but you know, for the most part, up until the last few years, you knew that the game was on what was then Fox sports Midwest if it wasn't on like the big Fox or ESPN, right? I mean, if it wasn't a national game, it was on that. And now we're starting to get to that. Okay. We got to check the calendar to see where this game is today. You know, what, what, where am I going to be able to watch the Cardinals? It's, it's not too much to that. I mean, it's usually on Valley sports and it's not a big issue, but it's still starting to get to this. Okay. There's like four or five different places that the game (laughs) could be. Where is it? Well, I think there's also an argument of, you know, are they saving us from ourselves? <laughs> you know, do we need to watch <laughs> do we need to watch 162 baseball games? And maybe uh and you know, I, I don't I, I don't watch 162 games anymore. You know, pre-kids I wire to wire watched as many games as I could. And, and that was a lot. Um, as you know, once you have kids and your kids are a little older than mine, so it's a bit different. But, you know, once you have kids, that that time isn't quite there like it used to. That said, mm-hmm. I still watch as many games as reasonably possible, meaning if I have nothing else going on or, or that has my um, attention for some reason and the Cardinals are on, I'm watching the Cardinals. Um, but do I need to watch 162 games a year? No, I don't. So if, if I, if I'm still able to access, I don't know, um, if I'm 120, 130 games rather easily, then, then I'm fine with that. Uh, I don't know. And maybe you can tell me if this has been out there and cause you know, I just kind of clicked the pay button and went about my day. Cause what am I going to do? Not, not subscribe to MLB TV, but you know, have they at all, uh, modified prices since um, they don't carry as many games as they used to. Uh, well, they've modified them in the in the I'm going up stage. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It, it, it's hard to know to some degree from you know again over the last couple of years because you know what last year you know 2020 you they charged a price and they either gave you a refund or they applied it to 2021. So like last year. I paid like 40 or 50 bucks. So it's hard to be to sure, but I think it's probably up, you know, 10 bucks or so over what it was two years ago. Um, I, I could be, I couldn't swear to that. Um, I will say it was interesting. I read today that they're going to, with your MLB subscription, there are going to be selected minor league games. Now, uh, probably a little bit of a, Hey, if you like this, you'll subscribe to MLB, MILB TV and, and get the extra money that way. But um, maybe it is somewhat to, you know, fill some of this inventory that because, you know, the, the game tonight, you could not, you know, no matter where you were, you couldn't watch on MLB TV or the MLB app. You, it, We gave you the link to watch it on Apple TV, but you couldn't actually watch it in, in that thing. So maybe it's their way of trying to keep the inventory the same. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So if you can hear me, if you can hear me typing right now, 
I'll, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I, I don't know what you just said, but you said something. <laughs> no, neither. No, no I, don't, I didn't mean it like that. But <laughs> what I meant is, I don't know what you just said that made me think of this. But for some reason, you said something that made me think, you know, anecdotally, I feel like games have been moving a little more swiftly this year. And so I just went to baseball reference to look at the Cardinals uh, uh, page to see, to look at game times and, Mm -hmm. you know, through 11 games, they do, they have, they have three of the 11 under three hours, one at two hours and 36 minutes. That was the six, five win over the Royals. Um, Mm -hmm. The uh, 2-1 win over the Brewers last Saturday was 2 hours and 55 minutes. And the 5-0 loss to uh, the Marlins last night, which I did not see. I was at a concert. But judging by my Twitter, everyone hated that game. People were people were angry. Just <laughs> what, I, I don't know what was happening during this game. It sounds like one of those were just like you could tell early on like that it was not their night it sounded like a sloppy game in all Mm -hmm. aspects um and yeah so people people were not happy but anyway last night was a two hour and 43 minute game so so there you go i i I just radically changed uh what we were talking about the subject so i apologize but have you felt like uh anecdotally like like these games kind of feel like they're moving a little bit faster or 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 that the pace of play has actually um i don't know but been a little more appealing than in years past or am again is this am i just looking at this from uh i don't know uh through 11 games that are you know don't quite mean anything and i do see some games here here's a three here's a game that took three hours and 51 minutes that was the uh that was the five six loss to Milwaukee uh, last yeah. Sunday. Um, so you know we do have some long ones in there as well. But well, and I think partly, I mean, especially like that game against Milwaukee, Milwaukee, as well as most sides probably, but definitely you know Devin Williams that inning with Devin Williams probably lasted an hour on its own. It felt like <laughs> um, because he was walking batters and going mm-hmm. deep and stuff like that. I think one of the things that may be the helping the Cardinals' pace of play and times is the fact they're not striking out as much. I mean, except for last night um, where they struck out 10 times. No, they struck out 13 times against the Marlins. They've pretty much not been, you know, single digits on the strikeouts. And, you know, if you're not running the count, you know, to the, as it's full length and maybe, you know, getting base hits or getting at least getting out faster, maybe that makes it feel better. And you're not just sitting there watching a whole lot of pitches. Well, I'm I'm glad you said that because I actually have, that stat in front of me right now and that is the cardinals heading into tonight were striking out 19.8 percent of the time and that is second best in the national league only to the mets at 19.6 uh the nl average right now is 23 percent. so yeah you're right they are striking out less and I, and i think dan might have said in the first game of the Marlins series, because of course, before they ran into Alcantara who struck out a number and then uh, Lopez, I want to say they were down in the 16, 17% maybe before those two games. Okay. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Um, I don't know where they are in walks. My feeling is it's probably kind of low. 
They're I mean, just below league average. Are you talking about the right. uh, their batters? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They are walking. They have an eight point eight percent walk rate, and league average is nine point one. So they're right at yeah. league average. Yeah. So, but really, what they're they're getting up there ready to hit. It feels yeah. it's kind of looks like, and that's gonna that's gonna move things along, um, unless you run into a a pitcher that can't find the strike zone. Um, so, because yeah, I think I feel like it has. I don't feel like the games that I have watched have dragged too much. Um, just maybe, maybe except for the one on Sunday, just because that did seem to take, it seemed like when you look up, it's like, Oh wow. It's, it's only like the sixth or something like that. But usually you're looking up and it's like, Oh wow. We're, we're already getting to now it's time for, you know, Gallegos or, or Helsley or somebody like that, and, you know, moving right along. So I don't know. It's an interesting point. Now, I know what I have seen is a lot of the minor leagues where they've had the pitch clock, those are like being drastically shortened um, by like half an hour or so. So that's probably more fodder for the idea that a pitch clock will be in the major leagues in the next year or two. Now, how do they... What is the batter's responsibility when it comes to the pitch clock? Because obviously he has something to do with it. He, he has to be ready just as much as the pitcher has to be ready. So I assume with the pitch clock, there is either um, a requirement or an assumption that the batter has to be in the box. Yeah. Um, Within a certain amount of time or something, see. right? Okay. Yeah. If, okay, this is, this was, uh, this was from 2015, but I'm sure it's probably roughly the same thing. Um, should a pitcher fail to begin or his windup or the motion in the last 20 seconds of the inning break, the batter will begin with a 1-0 count. Uh, should the batter fail to be in the batter's box and alert to the pitcher with five or more seconds remaining on the inning break timer, this is a little bit different, uh, we begin with an 0-1 count. So yeah, basically, if they're not in the batter's box ready to hit by the time that clock runs down, then they get the you know get a strike called. Whereas if the pitcher's not ready to throw the ball at that point in time, it's ball okay. count. That's interesting. And, you know, I, I have said over the last couple of years that I think pace of play has been a legitimate issue in MLB. I don't know if I love the pitch clock. I don't know yeah. if it's a problem that I would almost rather live with than see something like a pitch clock where it all of a sudden feels, I don't know, e- not to go all cliche on everyone, but you know, one of the things that has always been nice about baseball is the fact that there typically is not a clock. Right. Um, right. And to, to that there's, it's not a sport where the crowd is ever counting down, you know, five, four, three, two, one, like, you know, like in basketball or, mm-hmm. or that, you know, everyone's focused on uh, the play clock and football to make sure they get the playoff in time. You know, there's not that sort of level of anxiety. It's, 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 you know, kind of when you're ready, <laughs> you can yeah. you can throw a pitch. And if you're not ready, you don't have to throw a pitch. And while that can be annoying, that's also kind of a nice change of pace from other sports. So it, it is kind of this push and pull between like, yes, I think pace of play is a problem, but I don't know if I'm ready for the pitch clock yet. But I also haven't, you know, I don't watch minor league baseball. I, I mm-hmm. wish I did, but I don't. So I haven't seen it in action either. 
And maybe it would be something like one of these other rule changes that we've seen the last couple of years that, you know, when they first floated it, everyone's all upset and outraged about mm -hmm. by it. And then once you see it in practice, you don't really notice it. I would like to see if I think I would like to see them keep the pitch clock in the minor leagues. But the idea being that if you've come up, if you're drafted this year and you come up through the minor leagues with a pitch clock, by the time you get to the major leagues, you don't really need one, right? Because you're used to that. That's your rhythm. Um, I would like to see them do something like that rather than try to force, you know, some of these guys that haven't done this their whole career. Because, I mean, if you're required to, oh, man, imagine if Steve Trashell had to, do a pitch clock. I mean, <laughs> what was the old saying about it? I don't know if it was about him. Maybe it was about somebody else that you could time him with a sundial, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, if you try to take a guy that's deliberate and force him into that, it's, it's not going to be good for him. The results are not going to be good for him. And I think to some degree that's not fair to him. Um, but if you've got guys that are coming up through the minor leagues and that's, you know, it's kind of the same argument we made about the DH, right? Um, pitchers didn't hit in the minor leagues. If they had hit in the minor leagues, they might've hit better in the major leagues. Um, they didn't. And so now we have that abomination. So, um, I, you know, I would rather them just focus on training the players to not need it. Of course, there's also the idea that, you know, umpires should just, enforce this stuff right make them get in the box make them throw a pitch of course you yeah you missed this last did you uh, did you see the highlights last night of aaron brooks ignoring yadier molina i did not so jazz chisholm takes two pitches from aaron brooks both called strikes both upper part of the zone after the second pitch he gets out and yabbers to the umpire long enough that the umpire basically you know claps his hands so let's go and he you know basically the next pitch is a strike if he could just throw it and yadi frantically gestures for brooks to throw the pitch only for brooks to kind of come to a set and start looking for a sign and things of that nature and by the time he's ready to throw it chisholm's ready and yadi has to call time and of course by the time the next pitch chisholm hits a home run so you know it doesn't matter <laughs> if you train them or not. They still have to actually throw the ball, I guess, is the kicker. Um, if the umpire, because the umpire was trying to enforce, that's what I was starting with. He was trying to enforce that idea of, of you know, moving the game along, and the pitcher wouldn't let him. Well, this conversation and that anecdote you just relayed reminds me of, I, I think, something Joe Sheehan wrote in a newsletter several years back when he was addressing pace of play. And he he conceded that it was all that it was a problem, but he also noted that, you know, the pitchers, the, their livelihood, I mean, I, livelihood might not be the words he used, but you know, their mm. career, their salary is, is based on their performance. And so uh, a lot's going into what they're doing out there. Um, and so, he was kind of just saying like, yeah, it stinks that games take so long, but I get it. I get why pitchers right. are very careful with what they're trying to throw and they don't want to, they want to make sure that, you know, that they're not pitching until they are dang sure they're ready. Um, mm -hmm. And 
a, a part of me kind of feels feels that way, and and I, and I get that. Um, so, if if a baseball game is at three hours, that's perfect in my opinion, um, and and we don't have to uh, you know worry too much one way or the other. It's it's when the games, and you know, I'm not talking about postseason baseball because that's just mm. a whole different animal. But it's when the regular season games, you know, are consistently at three and a half hours. Um, and I shouldn't say that because they're not consistently at three and a half hours. I think they're closer to three than three and a half hours. Although I don't know what the average was mm-hmm. last year. Um, see. Anyway, uh, this is very good old man stuff, though. Complaining about uh, but three, but hours, and, three <laughs> hours and ten minutes. You, you said something. Okay, three hours and ten minutes. That's not that's yeah, not okay. too bad. That's not offensive no. to me. Um, you, you did say something about enforcing rules and it reminded me of, I think it was, gosh, it was one of the games. It was the only game I actually was able to watch against the Marlins because I was at a concert on Tuesday and Thursday night. So it was the Wednesday night game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michaelis threw a pitch. It bounced and hit the batter who, not necessarily mm-hmm. on purpose, but hit the batter because he kind of stuck his foot out. Um, right. You know what play I'm talking about, right? And yep, yep. Uh, yeah, it, there was a challenge and then eventually he was awarded uh, first base. Uh, who was, I'm, I, I'm trying to remember who was up. I don't even remember. Boy, I think that might've been Chisholm too. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay. Though. It seems like he's in the middle of a lot of stuff. <laughs> when the Cardinals well, I was hoping during that challenge that they would basically come back and say, yeah, it hit him, but it didn't need to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it hit him more because of the bat, more because of the batter than the pitch, and so therefore, why don't you just stay where you are and let's keep this uh, at bat going? Um, obviously, that's not what happened, and he got first. And I, I think every umpire in the league would have given him first. You know, uh, mm-hmm. but, but by the way, we do uh, uh, hit by pitches these days. That that's almost automatic, automatically given. Um, but it surprises me the type of stuff like, you know, John Jay, I think was always a very good guy getting, getting hit. And sometimes well, I'd be like, Sosa. what's that? Oh yeah. yeah. Med- yeah. Med- Sosa now. Absolutely. And I remember thinking, gosh, like that just doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> and I, I do kind of wish they would enforce that a little bit more, which is like, you do need to make some sort of concerted effort to, get out of the way of the pitch um right. standing there and letting it hit you is not enough well uh, it, it it was the a it was a, one of the a's like the first week of the season this year there was that clip going around where the pitcher you know threw the ball and he basically wound up sticking his butt out and hitting the ball you know bouncing it off of him like that um yeah. he could easily missed it he kind of you know flexed into it um yeah, and I, I mean, especially now in the post Barry Bonds era, because that's who I think of starting this, where everybody's got, you know, shin guards and arm pads and all this other stuff. I mean, not that they can't still get hurt with that, but I think it's a little bit different than back in the 80s where, you know, those guys weighed 185 pounds. And if you hit them, they might have actually broken a bone. Um, yeah, that uh, that ace player when he got hit in the butt, it looked like one of those old black and white videos of like a guy taking a cannonball to the chest. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, uh, so yeah, I I agree that 
you would have been, it was actually uh I looked it up it was Jesus Sanchez that got hit that's right um, that's right I'm not trying to, but um I I agree I, I, that one was a little bit interesting because one angle looked like he stuck his foot out one some angles didn't but there are so many guys I mean golly how many times have we seen Anthony Rizzo get hit I mean and and you know if he didn't if he'd moved it'd have been a strike you know that kind of stuff I agree that they should enforce that rule a lot more but you know they don't and it's it's really interesting that they're going to bring in like a pitch clock when there are rules on the you know of of pace of play that we've kind of seen that they could enforce that they just don't want to anymore yeah so uh i see we have finished tonight's game cardinals win four to two um that puts them what does that put them like eight eight and, eight and four. four well the cardinals won seven of the first 10 games this season and they're now eight and four do you know when the Cardinals last had a winning record after their first 10 games? Um, 2015? I'd just like to guess that. Close. 2016, actually. They, okay. they started 64. That, that was the season. Do you remember they – I think they – lost their first three games. I think they got swept by the Pirates to open the series, but then they won like six in a row. Then they their offense just went on a tear for a couple games, um, if you remember that. Um, 26, 2015, they started uh, seven and three. So that was the last time they had the same record after 10 games as this year. Um, okay. I bring that up only because, and I think I said this to Tara in our one and only chirps episode of this season, uh, right before the season started, which was that, you know what? I would just like to see the team get out of the gate with a nice record because it feels like it had been, it's been a while since that, that has happened. And, and that, that is true that they've had a lot of five and fives, four and six starts. Um, now again, as we've said several times in this episode, we don't need to remind anyone that they play 162 games. And so uh, one sixteenth of that uh, does not make a season. Uh, but it is, isn't it nicer to start off the season like this? I mean, obviously, right? Obviously. But right, right. even knowing that, look, this is by no means the entire season. And, you know, there's still a long way to go. It's still so much nicer to have, like, this sort of record and you're not like feeling like, Oh gosh, like two weeks into the season and we're already, you know, we're already complaining about this. We're complaining about that. Um, not that there aren't things to complain about, but it doesn't feel like the last couple of years where we just feel like, Oh gosh, we might have a crummy team on our hands, which yeah. even though that that has never turned out to be the case, <laughs> it has certainly felt that way after um, the first couple of weeks uh, to start several seasons. I mean, in 2017, they started off three and nine, if you remember that. Oh, it seems about right. Yeah. Now I was looking it up and I, and I don't, I'm just looking at the monthly, so I don't know how it breaks up. You know, the 2019 at the end of April was 19 and 10. So that was, I'm sure they kind of got off at a slow start and then kicked it in. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a lot better. Um, I, you know, I do get a little concerned because we've had such bad, like, second or third months lately so you need all the all the good wins in in april that you can get to stave off anything that might be coming in may or june um 
Well, but you're right. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but what you just said reminded me that, like, you know, last year, I I think by the end of the season, I think the Cardinals were a better team than the Brewers. But Mm -hmm. because wins in April count just as they do in August and September, the Brewers were the rightful winners of the division because they were better over the course of the season, even though I think the Cardinals were the actual better team at the conclusion of the season. And so, yeah. so it is nice to kind of, you know, bank these wins for when, like you said, they might, you know, they're going to go through a, a rough patch eventually. And so there you go. It would be interesting to look at what the early schedule has looked like for them as well, because, you know, this year they played Pittsburgh, they played Kansas city, they played yeah. Miami and yeah. they've now playing yes. Cincinnati. They had that set. They had that set with a Milwaukee in there and that's yeah. fair. Um, and uh, the Marlins are probably better than their record is showing right now. Um, but there is some of that, you know, but they, they feel like they've started with Pittsburgh a number of times or had Pittsburgh at least in the first week or so over the last few years. And um, and this is also the first time they've started the season at off at home in a long time. Yeah. Uh, to the extent yeah. that that matters. Uh, yeah. Um, which given this team and given this pitching staff, especially kind of constructed for Bush stadium, it's, it probably plays a non-zero if shall we say uh factor in there. I don't know how much, but it probably does have some impact. Um, so yeah, we're, we're 11 games in, um, Besides the fact that it's good that they've they're winning ball games, what else sticks out for you? I think what sticks out to me is that Chinatown meme that the Cardinals off day guys uh, <laughs> posted. Um, I, I think it had to do with someone pointing out Tommy Edmonds, um, you know, uptick in slugging this year, and right. uh, that meme being uh, uh, forget it, Jake. It's April. If if have you seen the movie Chinatown? I have not, but I know what I know. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think it, it's it's hard to really, and you know this as much as anyone. Um, and back when I used to actually write about baseball, I remember thinking it was harder to write about baseball in April than it was in the off season, because in the off season you could kind of just let the mind go wild and you can speculate and you can talk about like, well, what if they did this trade? What if they did that trade? What can we expect? Blah, blah, blah. But then the season starts and because you have actually actual stats in front of you, there's this urge to draw some meaning from it because you've been dying to do that for the last six months when you've had nothing. Um, But everyone knows you really don't want to do that because you're going to probably end up looking foolish if you try to draw too many conclusions from 12 games. I mean, I've read so many um, positive pieces about Ryan Helsley the last couple of days and he's thrown four innings, right? Um, and and don't get me wrong, I I I've I I think Ryan Helsley has a lot of potential. I've always um, I, I, that oh, gosh was that against Milwaukee where he came in and kind of saved that inning and and struck yeah, the guy okay. out with that one on one fastball. That was yeah that that four seamer that was great. Um, so I, I'm 
by no means not a Ryan Helsley fan. It's just, you just have to be careful with, you know, what are, obviously Paul Goldschmidt's not going to go the whole season with a uh, 25 WRC plus or whatever he had. Yeah, entering, entering. yeah probably went up today. I saw he had a couple of hits. Uh, yeah. So that's my big disclaimer before what I'm about to say, which is that I'm pretty pleased with the team so far. The offense looks risky. I, 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 they look like a team that's going to get on base and not kill rallies with, as we've seen with like the, you know, you have a man on first and third and no outs or one out. And then a couple strikeouts later and you feel like the inning has kind of been wasted. Uh, mm-hmm. This doesn't feel like that team. Um, as far as the pitching goes, which was all of our concern heading into the season, most of our concerns at least. It the last couple of years with the Cardinals pitching, it, it's I, I think of like you know life finds a way, Jurassic Park. Like it just seems like they find a way to make it work, even when it looks like it should not. And maybe that could happen this year if Miles Michaelis is as good as he's been after 16 innings. Uh, he looks great. He looks great. He, the some of the. Uh, curveballs he was throwing the other night looked really good if yeah so i'm pretty pleased i and again it, it we need to know we've had four games against the pirates and royals uh three games against the marlins and now one game against the reds um so not the greatest competition so far but <laughs> there's not a ton for me to complain about and last thing all the shots of Pujols in the dugout and people like laughing with him and just having a good time. It looks, I, I, I enjoy just seeing this team play, seeing the characters that they have out there. I forgot what it was like to have someone of Pujols' stature on the team. And that's with having Wainwright and Yachty, but like Pujols is a different animal, like a, a top tier hall of famer on the team. Um, even though he's not the the player he he once was, in, as he was the in his first go around with the Cardinals, but there's just a different feel with a guy like that when you see mm. him in the dugout and and see him come up to the plate. I don't know quite how to describe it, but I'd kind of forgotten that feeling, and it's still like I still kind of do a double take sometimes when I see him like in a Cardinals uniform and like oh wait that's not Anaheim red that is Cardinals red that he is wearing right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was listening to the guys, the the talk about birds guys, and they mentioned that they don't know that they've ever seen Pujols this loose, maybe happy. Um, Cause he was, I, always, I agree. Yeah. A jovial. He was, you know, he, he enjoyed, he was, he would smile and stuff like that, but he was so focused those 10 or 11 years that he was there, you know, so it had to be, to be what he was. And now, you know, he's he's kind of gotten to that point where it's like, hey, this is the last ride. I'm just going to enjoy it. And I'm hanging out with my best friends and I'm on a winning team. And, you know, this is a, basically the best I can hope for. And, yeah, I think that if chemistry means anything, and we can argue how much it actually means, um, this team has it. Um, they're a loose, they're you know, fairly goofball. I mean, Adam Wainwright always been a goofball, but now he's got, you know, two partners in crime instead of just one. 
um, it's, it's infectious. And I mean, I feel like you've got guys like, like Nuke Bar and things of that nature that, you know, are also willing to be, you know, kind of open and personable. And, you know, we know Bader and, and all those that have, have it as well. So I think this is a team that people can really like and a team that people will enjoy watching. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see how, how well they, they play and, you know, when they get into maybe some tougher competition. But, you know, on the flip side, how much tougher competition are they going to have too? They play a lot of games in the NL Central, and the NL Central is not necessarily that great. Um, you know, at some point in time, they'll have to play the Dodgers. They get the Mets next week, and the Mets mm-hmm. are off to a good start. Um, but they're going to play a lot of, you know, kind of mediocre teams this year. And if they can do what they've been doing to mediocre teams so far, they're going to put up a lot of wins. That is a good point. And I think that has been uh, a key to the Cardinals' success. Not the only key, obviously, but, mm-hmm. you know, since 2000, let's not forget, we, we have benefited a lot by being able to play the Pirates a lot, by being able to play the Reds a lot. Like, both yeah. those teams have been, you know, good at different times, but for the most part, you're right. I, I don't think the NL Central has quite been some of the, like, the like the AL East or, or something like that. There's been a few years, like I guess 2015 would come to mind when, um, when mm-hmm. it was, you had three teams winning in the upwards of 90 games. But yeah, you're exactly right. And as for that chemistry thing, um, can I um, offer what might be a full of crap uh, theory? <laughs> sure. Okay. It's nice to have somebody else do that besides me. So, okay. <laughs> well, I feel as though we've read things before that hinted at the idea that Yadier Molina didn't love the idea of being a mentor, whether it was to Carson Kelly um, and then to Andrew Kisner. It, like, I'm not making this up, right? We have heard those rumblings that, like, he yeah. he wasn't quite ready to accept that role of showing the new guy, hey, this is how you do it, and also maybe – taking a few more days off um, to kind of further that goal. Right? Like, yeah, th- yeah. that's not unfair to say. Um, I don't think so. So you bring in Albert Pujols and we've already talked about, or other people already talked about like some of the, some of the pros to bringing a guy like Pujols in, even beside, even beyond the whole nostalgia factor, which to me is not trivial. Like that's, that's mm. been I love that. I, I enjoy that aspect of it. But there's also the fact that he's a great clubhouse guy. He's he's one of the smartest baseball players I've ever seen. Um, and um, early returns kind of show that, who knows, maybe he can still hit the ball pretty well, too. We'll see. <laughs> um, but he has always been, or at least what we've read about his time in Anaheim and then also with the Dodgers, he's been a great mentor to younger players. Right. Right. And before he came back to St. Louis, Yadier Molina was kind of, if not the alpha dog in the clubhouse, I hate to use that term, but I don't know what, how else to say it. If he was not the alpha dog, he was one of the alpha dogs in the clubhouse. Well, now you have Albert Pujols in the clubhouse who I would have to think would um, kind of, take that title back. He is the main big guy in the clubhouse and he Mm -hmm. 
is big on mentoring players and having that is influential on a player like Yadier and Molina to say, you know what, maybe it is okay to take Kisner under my wing and say, you know, let me, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. Maybe it is okay to, you know, not play 80%, 85% of the games. Is that a crazy thing to say? No, I don't think so. Could have Um, that sort of influence. And again, I want to say, I want to preface this by saying, I noted at the beginning of this, that, that this might be totally full of crap. (laughs) I don't think it's, uh, I think there's something to that. I think that, it would be interesting to see the alternate universe where Pujols doesn't sign and see what Yachty's doing. If Yachty still feels like he has to play all the time, or if, if age has really kind of gotten to Yachty, at least even to the set that he knows he can't play every day or needs to, or he's not getting a choice. I think Mm -hmm. I feel like Ollie Marmol has kind of shown he'll do what he wants to do. And it doesn't really matter that he has legends in the bull in the dugout, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna play them when he needs to play them. Um, and so I think even without pools, maybe, but Yachty might not be enjoying himself as much, you know, and it may, might have gotten to Instagram or something like that by now. Um, <laughs> so I think that helps. I think it definitely does help to kind of accept, see, seeing what Albert has accepted what this where he is you know that it's his last year that he can he can help the team but it has to be in limited doses that he's better when he doesn't play as much i think that has to at least have some impact on yachty yeah i hope so and again early returns but yachty doesn't look that great right now right. um the the throw to you know just one just one play but the when he skied the ball over second base, which I almost never see him do, uh, yeah. when I forget who was trying to steal second, then ended up taking third on the when he overthrew second. Uh, I'm just going to guess Jazz Chisholm because that's what I do. If <laughs> um, you keep going, I'll yeah, we'll just use him as like the avatar for any 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 time <laughs> we're trying to, anytime we're trying to remember a guy, we'll just fill him <laughs> in. Um, he it, it he yeah he just kind of looked old. Uh, yeah. Looking at the replays of that, but you know, I, you also don't want to doubt someone like Yadier Molina because he has shown time and time again that that is not a wise thing to do. But I think it's also important to know he's allowed to look old because he is old and he plays right. the most grueling position, uh, perhaps in all of the major sports. Uh, and he's earned, he's earned this. So uh, even if he is bad this year, uh, I certainly will not complain about him one iota because, yeah, he's, he's earned the right to be bad. Yeah, it was Jess Chisholm. I got that one right. Okay, there we um, But, yeah, because, I mean, he threw the guy out on opening day against Pittsburgh, but even then it was like you know, if they had replayed it, would, they, would he have been out? Um, he's – not gotten anything but a single yet. He hasn't walked yet, or at least before going into, well, he didn't play tonight. So yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, he's a almost 40 year old catcher. That's, that's what it's going to be. And, and I think it's, I think that's easier to swallow when they're playing Kisner, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that was the problem with Matt Carpenter the last couple of years until the, you know, the last half of last season 
you know, Mike Schilt and company kept running him out there every day. And everybody's like, look, the guy's toast, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, you know, and you can't be betting Matt Carpenter, you know, third, you know, why are you running him out there? Um, if you're seeing Yachty three times a week, even if he's hitting 150, um, I think you can handle that a lot more because it is, it's like for services rendered. Um, and, you know, I would be interesting to see, of course, you can't really do it with the way the rosters are, but, you know, if they could find a guy that could maybe also be a catcher so that they could, you know, if, if Yachty started a game and they wanted to take him out and let Kisner play the rest of the way. Um, but Marmol might be worth gambling on that. Because I mean, how often do, I mean, yes, you're kind of, putting yourself in a position where you could be hurt, but very rarely does that happen. So uh, oh, you, you meaning like not all of a sudden then Kisner gets hurt and you, you're left with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I think a lot of people worry about that when, you know, it didn't happen. Well, cause we've talked about it the last couple of years, right. When like bat weeders was available, it's like, why don't you DH him or let him pinch hit or, you know, why can't you use both of them? And it's like, Oh, we got to keep him, you know, in case Yachty gets hurt or, you know, we can't do, you know, don't want it to, to, lose a catcher it's like you know you can get by for the next day and ivan herrera can be up here the next day you know you can make the roster move if you need to um somebody can catch the ball for the next few innings it won't be pretty but who cares you'll get out of it so you bringing up matt weeders reminded me of the uh, the brian pena era Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. how many plate appearances do you think he took for the cardinals in two, it was he was with the team in 2016. Let's see, that was one of the years that Yachty got set out for like a month with a thumb or anything like that. I don't think so. Let's say 80. Are you ready for this? Yeah, 14. 14. Brian Bain had 14 plate appearances for the Cardinals in 2016. Um, two hits. Uh, one double, and uh, that's about all she wrote. Uh, he had a 154, 214, 231 line. Yeah, 14. Wow. I, I did he get hurt in spring training? He must have. Is that what happened? If, if I'm trying to remember, so and then he was released halfway through the year, maybe. Seems like that's the case because let's see. Because I remember when they signed him. Yeah, because that's the year they got Eric Fryer. That was the year that Fryer played. Oh, yeah. And um, I think, if I'm right, that was the year that Fryer did so well. And then Brady and Pena got, came back off the DL and they let Fryer go. He went to Pittsburgh. And then, like two days later, that's or right. maybe the same day, Pena got hurt again. And they had to go with Michael McHenry, I think. And, uh, they used Alberto Rosario, some of that near too. But yeah, it was like, oh, we had the one guy that was actually hitting and we let him go because Brian Pena was back and that blew up on him. So yeah, I think there was something to that. Well, I, um, I do remember people uh, being uh, very concerned that we were about to be haunted by Eric Fryer on the Pirates <laughs> and he was going to crush us every time we face him. But that I, I don't think that turned out to be the case. I think he had like one, like maybe the first game they played, he but, had a pretty good game. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where a lot of that came from. Yeah. Well, and 16 was one of those years that Pittsburgh was 
pretty good too, right? I mean, the 15 was the year that they were in the playoffs. I think 14. they dropped off in 2016 they dropped because off? they were in the playoffs in 2013, 14, and 15. Okay, it was 13, 14, 15. And okay. 2013 was the first year since 92 that they finally finished above 500 mm-hmm. uh, since the uh, last year with Bonds, which ended with the Francisco Cabrera uh, single. Right. Um I love the fact that, you know, they won, what, 97 games that year, and they still didn't pass, had, had the Cardinals, so your streak is, it was alive. Well, I, I love the fact that they had those three years where they were good. Yeah. And every year, the Cardinals were just a little bit better. And, and <laughs> to keep the, uh, you know, the streak that we love so much, that the Cardinals have finished ahead of the Pirates every year since 1999, to keep that streak mm-hmm. intact. Um I don't know how many people in Pittsburgh pay attention to this streak, but I got to think someone was like, gosh, what do we have to do to, to uh, be better than the Cardinals? Um, uh, obviously yeah. they have much bigger concerns <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> now they're just trying to be better than the Memphis Cardinals. Right yeah. Now, but, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, interesting. To say, I, yeah, the, I do wonder. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where we started this tangent, but um, <laughs> sorry, that's yeah. fine. that's a vibe. No, that's yeah. yeah. always my fault, I believe. Yeah, no, we're good. I think it's much more entertaining this way. Um, but I do wonder what the Cardinals, how the history, how the last decade of the Cardinals would have been different had they been in the National League West or the National League East, probably especially the West, though, right? Because if you're out in the West, you're not winning a division. The way well, the Cardinals have been the last couple of the last few years without putting some more money or more players into this. Well, that's what I was about to ask you. Do you think DeWitt handles the finances a bit differently if they're in a different division and he feels like that's what he has to do to win that sort of whatever that number of games is that he likes to have that? I say I say him because he's the owner, but I don't know right. who's actually like, you know, kind of saying like, this is a right where we want to be. Um, I know he's the one saying that when it comes to money and stuff, but um, I wonder if he'd be more flexible if he felt like, well, shoot, we're competing with the Giants and Dodgers here. We need to have a team that's going to, on paper, win 93, 94 games. I am more forgiving of ownership than some people are. Um, Hello, Benz. Um, But... I, I think so. I think I think he wants to be. I think the Dewitt family wants to be competitive. Um, now, do they want to make money as they're doing it? Yes. And are they going to go over the top to win? No. I think we've proven that. But you know, um, if a hundred sixty million dollar payroll wins you or at least has you competing for the NL Central, they'll do that. If they were in the National League West and they thought that a $200 million payroll was needed to compete, I think they would be more aggressive in their dealings. Now, to be fair, finances would be a little bit different and blah, 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 blah. But I think for the most part, they want to bring competitive baseball to St. Louis. They want to do it, you know, smart if you will question you know they want to do it for the you know get more bang for their buck blah 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 whatever instead of you know putting the foot down and pedal down the pedal and, and things that we've talked about in the past of you know hey go get a bryce harper when you don't necessarily need him and you know imagine how good you can be um well 
What's funny, and believe me, I'm I'm not saying this as a defense or criticism or whatever of ownership, but mm-hmm. just more as statement of fact. But in 2015, the team payroll was right in line with league average, mm-hmm. and since then, starting in 2016, it has been well above league average. Um, and that's funny to me because I feel like that's when we all started to kind of start getting mad at the, at, at the Cardinals ownership. Um, uh, now that doesn't mean they're spending money wisely or, or whatever, or, you know, they've right. had, a, they've had several misses, um, here and there. Um, I think. I, I, my legitimate my cons- my criticisms of this ownership group would mostly fall on like I, let's use let's use last year as an example and I, I think Milwaukee turned out to be a bit better than a lot of people thought they were going to be mm-hmm. but just the several years where it looks like look the division is there for the taking and it's not going to take a look much more to right, have that right. team that's going to win that division. And they, and I, I, I think this year is, is another example and, and they, and they haven't done that now. Now maybe they know stuff. And of course they do that, that I don't know, which is like, maybe mm-hmm. they're like, Hey, look, we didn't sign Mark Marcus Stroman because of X, Y, and Z um, or fill in the blank of whoever good pitchers from the last couple of years. Um, so that, that that that's my thing with them is that they that they really do uh there's this idea this meme that you know look they they just want to win they just want to have a team that's going to win 89 or 90 games so mm-hmm. they can spend a certain amount but still be in a good position to make the playoffs rather than spend a certain amount and have a team that's going to win 95 96 games. I don't know for a fact that that's true of their thinking but it's pretty hard to uh, dispute that based on what we've seen um, the last, I guess, 10 years of, of Cardinals baseball. Um, are, are there teams, are, are most teams in a much worse position than the Cardinals? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. mean, we're talking about a franchise that's had one losing season since 1999 and that has not had a losing season since, what, 2007. So... Uh, we are spoiled, um, but we're spoiled because this has been one of the marquee franchises in MLB for basically since MLB has really, truly mattered. So yeah, we expect things, but there's a reason for that. Um, we Cardinal fans think the team should be at a certain level. And I, I think Cardinals fans wouldn't be doing their job if they weren't constantly harping on like hey look we want this team to be great it doesn't mean that we are all secretly great gms and know how to make that team great but yeah we're gonna be loud if we think the team isn't doing all they can to make that team great Uh, you know then again they look at um i think they look at a bigger picture than we do at times too um i think back to what was it 2019, 20, 2018, 2019, maybe it was 2019. That that rumor at the trade deadline, right, with uh, Zach Wheeler for 
Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill. And of course, we weren't really, even then we didn't really want to move Tyler O'Neill, but we were like, Harrison Bader just, it doesn't feel like he's going to ever click. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's a fourth outfielder. You really need to get the guy, you get a pitcher like that, like Wheeler, when they desperately need pitching, you know, they don't make that trade. And Wheeler's been good since then, but he was a free agent. You don't know that you could have re-signed him. And obviously Bader has developed into, at least last year, especially a little bit more than we we thought it would be. Um, you know, I look at Marcus Stroman right now, and again, three game, three, he's only made three starts for the Cubs, he's but he's got an eight, seven. Yeah. He's got an eight seventy eight eight eight. Do you think that people, I mean, people already not weren't that thrilled with Steven Matz's first outing. I can't imagine what they would have done, you know, with, uh, with this for the money that you paid Stroman. Now Stroman could easily still have the better year. Don't get me wrong. And it very well may, but you know, I, I do, tend to maybe give them too much credit, but I feel like I know how wrong I have been over pretty much everything over the last almost 15 years. Um, and unfortunately it's down in writing. Um, <laughs> so I give them a little bit more of a, of a uh, you know, benefit of that out sometimes. Uh, and they've gotten it wrong they, and they will say that, but I, I think at times they do you know, have at least to have a plan that we don't get to see. I, well, to that, I I was pretty loud, at least on chirps, in saying that I never thought Tyler O'Neill was going to stick. I just mm. didn't think a guy who struck out thirty five to forty percent of the time could could ever be a reliable player. Um, and gosh, maybe the Cardinals felt that way too, which is why. Um, Last season was the first time he ever had more than what 160 plate appearances. Um, yeah. But but last year kind of came out of nowhere for me, whereas other people kind of kind of saw that potential for for um, kind of from the beginning. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not, I'm I'm never try to claim that like you know my opinions matter on some level that's above just. <laughs> You're very normal, average fan, I, I think. And I think about, you know, again, from my personal aspect, I would have loved to see them get Bryce Harper. And I get that. But if they got Bryce Harper, we don't get Nolan Arenado. And I've been a big fan of Nolan for a long, long time. So I'm kind of yeah. glad that worked out. You know, it's like leaving themselves, because I do think they had an eye on, on him, maybe not this early, but they thought they would try to, do something there. Um, so again, some of it is keeping powder and some of it's just, you know, yeah, they're making a ton of money. Um, they're also making debt payments on the stadium, which is not something every ownership is doing. Um, but yeah, again, I'm not saying that they're in this, you know, altruistically or anything like that. They're not obviously not turning down. They, they seem to be doing all right for themselves. Um, but, you know, we're also at 16 years of Bush Stadium and they're not like Atlanta or Texas advocating for a new stadium either. So, um, you know, there's, I, I guess, it, and, it, and, and we just, I mean, again, I think somebody else, I think Jeff Jones wrote this today. It can easily be worse. I mean, we just see since we see what Cincinnati's going through and with their ownership that really has come out basically and said, we don't care. <laughs> You're going to be a Reds fan we can kind of do whatever we want to do. 
um, My you know, God. whether it's yeah. just, yeah, whether it's lip service or whatever, there's no doubt that the Cardinal ownership has at least put up the public face that they want to win. That Cincinnati situation is a disaster. That guy sounded like a total jerk with those comments and the fact that he doubled down when kind of uh, uh, pushed back when a reporter kind of, yeah. you know, grilled him on it on the field. And then it took him the third try to kind of come out with a uh, apology. Um, well, when, when the PR guys got to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but you you know this as much as I do. Cincinnati's a great baseball town. They have a ton mm-hmm. of history. Uh, I've said before, I don't know if fans of the Cardinals or the Reds would like this, but if there's if there's a franchise in terms of just like culture and the size of the market and everything else that kind of most mirrors the Cardinals, it's probably the Reds. Um, and to see what that ownership group has like done to that team would be so frustrating. Um, I I don't know how I would be able to take it uh, personally. Like, I I mean, I definitely wouldn't be watching whatever amount of games we were talking about earlier. Like, well, I can still watch this many games, you know, I I think I would have to have a really good reason to watch them. Um, And, yeah, as far as that goes, we as Cardinal fans are in a good spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like such like a baseball problem where there are just too right. many owners right. acting in that capacity, which is really yeah, bad true. for the sport. And, and we can't, we cannot gloss over what you know Bill DeWitt's contribution to you know Rob Manfred as, as ownership. I mean, and his you know maybe oversized influence on the other owners who just got done locking out players trying to you know keep the costs down so um you know i'm, I'm not saying that everything's hunky-dory there uh at all because there is definitely it, it's like <laughs> the best of a bad lot maybe i guess maybe the best way to putting it uh or not even the best but one of the better ones of you know what could be terrible because i can't oh man you're right my father-in-law was a huge Reds fan. He passed away in 15 and I, I, I just don't know if he hadn't, he probably would have now because I just don't know <laughs> how he could have survived this. I mean, he would have, he would have listened to every game and stuff, but he would, he would not have been happy about it. I don't think. Um, so we've gone about an hour. Um, I've enjoyed the conversation, but there is one thing we have to mention before we leave because I have, a reputation about that pulled the Cardinals made their a little bit surprising. This is their, as far as I know, first roster move of the year. We're three weeks in and this is their first roster move of the year, putting Drew Verhagen on the disabled list and bringing up Packy Naughton. And now that's not a huge issue, except for the fact that Packy Naughton is going to wear 70. Um, so it's uh, another pitcher wearing 70. Uh, it's it's good to have the number back in the major leagues. I know you don't care, Alex, but you know I appreciate you that humoring me. Well, what what is special to you about the number seventy? Should I know this? Well, I mean, I'm, I, I am Cardinal seventy. I have this is kind of the whole tie-in, so I've just kind of adapted it. But it's McGuire seventy home runs. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, so anytime, and the number has not been used much. I mean, Tyler Lyons used it. What, what's it been now? 
16, 17 when he came up. I don't remember. It may have probably been farther than that because I'm old. <laughs> well, the reason um, why I asked is because, you know, my, my Twitter handle is uh, AlexCard79 because I was born right. in 79, right? right? And so I do remember right. thinking like, wait, was Shop Top born in 1970? Not quite that old. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was I'm like, no, sure. I know he's not. He's not that old. No, I was born in 75, so <laughs> okay. I am older than you because there's <laughs> – it's it's apparently a cardinal law right now that no podcaster can be older than me because <laughs> um, I haven't found one yet. Um, but yeah, it's McGuire's. You know, I got on I got online in '99 first time and you know had to create an I had a name yeah. and it was you know obviously on a cardinal board. Cardinal is pretty much going to be taken, so I threw seventy on the end and well, it stuck. L- let me ask you a quick question about uh, mm-hmm. the seventy home runs in 1998. How how did you follow that that whole thing? Um, how did it variety work back then? I'll tell you how, how I did it, but I'm curious how, yeah. how, how you followed. Um, and when I say follow, I'm, I'm talking about the home runs. Cause that's what I remember. Right. Mo- I, you know, I, I was obviously yeah. wanting them to win, but I was really t- tuning into the games or reading about the games to find out if McGuire homered. You know, I remember at the beginning of the year, his grand slam to open the season. I watched on the early version of game day on ESPN, you know, the, the little graphics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I know by the end of the season, by the end of the year, you know, when he was on, you know, all, every Cardinal game was on Fox and they were cutting into his bats. So I'd see him on ESPN and Fox, but you know, back then we couldn't watch every game. So I, right. during the year, I think it was just kind of either following it on the radio or, you know, reading the internet stories the next day or something. Or I was, it, it wasn't that because I knew, I knew of it when it happened. But I think it was just you know watching news and trying to keep up with stuff. I, but it's really a good question because I don't remember. I'm so used to, you know, oh, I was following on Twitter or you mm-hmm. know or things of that nature. Um, to how I was knowing this stuff at the time, without I mean, except we had the basics of the internet, so there's probably some of that going on too. But. Um, and I feel like I did listen to, because that was the year that you could stream KMOX through the Cardinal website. Um, it was before it got all put up under the umbrella of MLB TV and oh, uh, paid for it, all that stuff. Yeah, it was because um, I, I I lived in Little Rock at the beginning of the year, and I moved back here to Russville um, in the middle of it. So that that year kind of sticks out, and I do remember listening. I think I think in ninety eight, at least ninety eight or ninety nine. It might have been ninety nine that we did that. But um, the first year of internet stuff, you could they would stream the games through the website, um, and then it was like the next year, MLB said, "Hey, we can package this all together and make money off of it," and it took care of that. But I, I would guess, how, how did you do it? I mean, you had a little bit better seat, I would think. Yeah, well, not really. I, I was a I was a freshman. I was in college. I was a freshman when that season started, and then I was a sophomore when uh, when he broke the record. But it was either ESPN or CBS. I think it was CBS Sports. Had mm-hmm. I would log on, and they had like their equivalent of like game day, or, or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Like like, uh, gosh, what, what do you call it when you kind of like watch the game on your computer and you have the guy in the like like can I think of the little um the like the little graphics like the game game cast or whatever yeah whatever yeah, you want to yeah, call it yeah yeah game cast yeah. they had their that 
kind of a bare bones version of that. I think it was CBS Sports. Um, and you wouldn't see like an actual guy standing there and a pitcher and stuff like that. But you would just they, they did have a diamond. And if a player was on first, it would be like lit up or, or whatever. But they had on the left side, like a tally of like who's up and stuff like that. And yeah. I would just have to kind of I would always have that on uh, my computer on my desk and would just every couple minutes come and hit refresh. Cause I think you had to hit refresh for it. It wouldn't just do it on Mac. Yeah. I think you had to hit refresh. Yeah, so. And then when a team scored similar to baseball reference, when you're looking at um, an old box score and you're looking at what went down, when a team scored, it would be highlighted. You know, if, it, if, it, if a guy right. flied out to center, that would just be a normal font. But if like, right. if someone uh, flew out to center, but it resulted in someone scoring from third, on a tag up, then that would be in bold. Um, and so I would always just look for that bolt. Like when McGuire was up, uh, you know, you would refresh, refresh, refresh. And all of a sudden it would be in bold Mc- Mark McGuire home run <laughs> to left, you know, left field. Yep. The Cardinals yep. now yep. lead four to three or something like that. And I feel as though that's how I, to the best of my ability, kind of followed that in real time. Uh, which seems so funny and antiquated now, but uh, then again, it was, now that I think about it, it was 24 years ago. So I guess it's not that crazy that it was such a different world back then. But I also remember really enjoying that. Uh, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) part of it was just the chase. It's the the home run thing itself, Um, which was so much fun. And really the only year I can remember following the Cardinals where the outcome of the game, and I almost hate to say this, but the outcome, the, the outcome of the game really did kind of take a backseat yeah. to, to, to what happened with a certain individual performance. Um, but yeah, I, re- I remember really enjoying that and thinking that was like a good way to, uh, to follow both the game and what was happening with McGuire. Yeah, that was, you're right. I mean, that was, it mattered more to some degree, whether he hit home run. I mean, it helped the fact that they weren't going anywhere that year. Um, you know, it was very interesting back when it was the 20th anniversary. I wrote a post um, for each home run, you know, to match the day. Um, and just to see, you know, how many of those games that they, you know, let get away or how many games were, you know, blown in the ninth or something like that. Um, that was a, t- a team that was, meh. I mean, it really was, right? I mean, it did, it did they, those didn't, did they, they did finish over 598, didn't they? They, they did. Out of those, right? They did. I think they won like 83 games or something like that. Yeah. Uh, let me look that up right now. But, you know, there was, um, I believe time late in the year where it looked like, I mean, where it looked like maybe they had a chance of of doing something. But gosh, why can't I? Uh, um, yeah, when? How many did they win that year? Because the the Cubs didn't win the division, but they won the wild card, right? Because they won that one game playoff with the Giants. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, except that, except that, yeah, who won the division then? 
I was right. The car, uh, the the Astros won the division. The Astros. Oh, that's right. The Astros won yeah. the division. That, yeah, it, yeah. It's almost easy to forget the Astros used to be in the Central. But yeah, the, I was right. The Cardinals won eighty three games, and the Cubs won ninety. Um, and I think, if I recall, really kind of pulled away from from them towards the end there. Uh, the Cubs really pulled away from the Cardinals there at the end. But yeah, you're right. It, it, there was never a time where you felt like it was a great team. I mean, they had. They had a great offense. I mean, Ron Gant was hit. Uh, wait, do I have that right? Was that your Gant? Yeah. Ron Gant, Gant was there. Gant hit, Gordon. I think, 31. Langford hit 31 home runs. Gant hit 26. Brian Jordan hit 25. Uh, Gaetti hit 11. You know, so you had guys who were, yeah. besides McGuire, hitting a lot of home runs. And you see a guy hitting 70, which is just <laughs> remarkable. But, yeah, pitching, not so great. That was the no. uh, Kent Merker. Uh, Stottlemyre. I mean, he had Matt Morris, but not, he wasn't quite Matt Morris yet, I don't believe. Um, yeah. Um, well, he was, he was seven and five. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He's but, better yeah. than I remembered. Okay. I stand corrected. Yeah. You had, you had, had oh, Manny Ibar. I remember him <laughs> being that guy that you just thought if, if he could ever get it together, it was going to be something because he could throw it hard, but he had no idea where it was going. And I think that was – was that the last year we had Donovan Osborne? We're close to it, right? It's hard to know because Donovan Osborne was hurt so often mm-hmm. that it's, you couldn't remember when he was actually on a team. Uh, actually, let's see, 99 he pitched six games okay. for the Cardinals. And then he didn't play in 2000 and 2001 in the majors. Uh, resurfaced with the Cubs in 20, 20, or 2002 was out in 2003 and then finished up with the Yankees in 04. Um, so yeah, that was really his only, and he only pitched 14 games that year oh, wow. um, in 98. Okay. So um, he was, uh, yeah. It's a weird Jeff team. Was still out there. Yeah. Um, the year that Brantley was so, so bad. <laughs> um, I mean, they're, yeah. Yeah. That you know, you talk about bad trades the Cardinals have made, um, but I think Mo could probably put his record up against a lot of other GMs and in the Cardinal history and do all right. I mean, you know, he may not have a Brock for Brogulo, but he doesn't have some of the really bad ones either. So, well, one of the trades that's kind of turning out to not be so great, and I'm not even criticizing it because it was mm-hmm. the right trade at the time. Uh, but the Ozuna trade. Yeah. Yeah. That one is, I mean, I mean, even if you just look at it from Alcantara, which is the biggest piece that hurts, uh, especially right now where they just don't have that kind of star pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to have that one back. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but to criticize it now almost feels like just hindsight. 2020 because at the time no one felt like oh gosh what are we doing in fact it was more like oh look we didn't have to give up flaherty we didn't have to give up uh i I don't remember it it was we pack it we sent a package of four guys and i don't think any of them were in the top five cardinals prospects Mm -hmm. if i recall i don't think so i don't think so i I think a lot of people thought alcantara could be something but i think there was some idea is he going to be able to really harness what he had but even it was like even if he does the other guys you know 
what are they going to do? And I don't think anybody expected like all four of those guys to make the major leagues. I, I also um, didn't expect Mar- Marcelo Zuna to show up without a shoulder. Yeah, that that's kind of helpful. Um, if he had been like, a, and that's the thing. It's just, yeah. How did they, you know, they knew this and they still went through with it. I think either they were more optimistic or they didn't have the information that they needed. Um, and I don't know. I think that that might've gone differently, although maybe it's a good thing. It didn't given, given Marcelo's in his current situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, yeah. And so, also he seems like a jerk. So there you go. Yeah. I, but it did give us the whole, you know, guy oversleeping uh, before not making the game type of thing. So there was, you know, there's some highlights. They're climbing the wall. Well, I, I know yeah, we're climbing the kind of climbing the wall, yeah. I, I know we're running late, so I'd like to end on a better note than Marcelo Zuna. Okay, but uh, fair enough. Um, we we're talking about McGuire, and correct me if I'm wrong, but JD Drew actually debuted in the game yes. where McGuire hit number sixty-two, right? Yes, he uh, came in. So McGuire hit the home run in what the third or fourth inning. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew debuted in like the sixth or seventh. It was after the, it was after the home run. Okay. Well, I'm looking at JD Drew's line from 98, his stats from 98. And I know you remember this, how, how good he was in those, the short time. Uh, he had 41 plate appearances. Do, do you want to guess his OPS plus? I so, think he hit. So not OPS, but OPS plus. I'm OPS looking at plus. Right now. Oh, Boy, limited time. I want to say he hit 417. I'd say 205. Wow. Yeah. So 266. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He, you, you nailed it, though. He he hit 417, had a 463 on base, and slugged 972. So he yeah. had a he had a 1.436 OPS. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, and that was, I mean, because you remember you know, you know, I, I think you still probably remember that whole, you know, the whole drama around him going back into the draft and yeah. the Cardinals taking him and you had him and ain't kill coming up around the same time. Uh-huh. And you had this, you know, number one, two, like two number one type picks. Um, so yeah, I remember I got to see him once uh, when he was coming up because uh, the Cardinals affiliate was still in Little Rock at that time. So we saw him uh, play a game early on in his career at double A. Of course he wasn't there very long. Um, so I remember him debuting wearing number seven back then. Um, and this idea that he was going to be that next big thing. And I think Drew, Drew gets a little bit too much criticism. I mean, he was hurt, well, I, but he had some, I totally, agree. he had some weird injuries. I yeah. totally agree. And, and he retired with almost 1500 career hits. He, now I'm looking at his page. Within, I'm looking at his baseball reference page. OPS plus at 125. Wins above replacement, believe it or not, at 45. 44.9. So, I mean, he had a very good career. Um, yep. He only made one. I, I think it's because he was always just pretty good. And he, he never had... Um, he had one really good season with the Cardinals. And I think that year with the Braves, he was, really, he was pretty good. But he never had a season where he was just like, this is one of the best players in baseball. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think the fact that he never really made all-star games and stuff like that, it makes it feel like his career was a failure when it was not. It just, it was just a very good career. Yeah. 
Well, and I think, you know, he got a lot of criticism for being hurt while he was in St. Louis. And some of it was probably justified. I know LaRusso took a little bit of uh, get shots at him, I think, in three nights in August. Um, but, you know, I mean, at least one of those was he got hit in the wrist. I mean, broken wrist by hitting by a pitch. Um, he had some, you know, fairly serious injuries. I mean, not just, uh, oh, I don't feel good. I, he got a little bit of a reputation as a malingerer, but I mm-hmm. I don't think that was fair. And, you know, if nothing else, he brought us Adam Wainwright. So, I mean, he, should be a, <laughs> he may go in the Cardinal Hall of Fame just for that. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And, um, you, you know, three nights in August is funny. I, I know, like, it it has kind of very curmudgeon like, I, I think it even has a, a prologue that kind of is like, talking down to analytics and stuff like that and how mm-hmm. it's not how you should watch baseball. Um, so that's kind of annoying, but that's a great book. I yeah. love that book. I've read it twice well, it, and um, I just kind of ignore or dismiss the parts that are kind of Buzz Bissinger being uh, grumpy and whatever. Yeah. And if you really just focus on what that book brings to the table, meaning the good, the good things, it's a mm-hmm. great book. Yeah, and it's it's really funny to think that they take shots at analytics because Larusa and Duncan were like the forefront of that, right? One hundred charging pitches, yeah. and where they go and how to you know how to shift people because they hit this way and stuff like that, which is detailed totally very well in man, in Men at Work, which I know you've read yes. as well. Yeah, yes, I've read that. That's one. I think it's probably the book baseball book I've read the most. It is literally falling apart because I've read it so many times. Um, but that was, you know, and. And it feels like, I don't know, I haven't heard a lot about LaRusso in his White Sox days, but it feels like he's, you know, I'm, I mean, I might not be, you know, cutting edge, but he's not downgrading in that stuff. I think he's taking that kind of information from what I can tell and using it, um, you know, maybe not to the level that some do, but not to this, you know, well, we didn't do it back in the day, so we're not doing it now type of thing. Yeah, well, I, I don't know where his idea of the second baseman turning around so he can't steal signs falls, in the, uh, whether that's uh, a- a- analytic, <laughs> whether that's like galaxy brain analytics or, or what's going on there. But um, <laughs> yeah, I can't put that's a real thing that anyone I can't can either. say. But. I can't either, but that is, that is kind of crazy. So, all right. Well, we've had a good time tonight. Um, look, this is like, hour long of mutual and 30 minutes of chirps if you if you think it's running too long you just take those two put them together and that's what you've got this time but it's been a a good time talking with you alex and uh look forward to doing it again absolutely thanks thanks for having me on again i always love uh talking to you on this podcast and just about baseball in general um i will be with you next week i don't know who will be with me but until then, uh, that for Alex, I'm Daniel. Good night. Suter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss. And that's a winner. That's a winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals.